Have you been blessed so far? I have. This is my fifth GYC in a row. I haven't missed a single one except for the first one. And uh, I know every time I come, it just keeps getting better and better. So happy Sabbath to you. I know that today you can expect a blessing because we have a wonderful lineup of speakers today. You know, I have the privilege of introducing our speaker this morning, Pastor Stephen Conway, who happens to be a good friend of mine. And uh, I was just backstage with him a a few minutes ago, and I asked him, what can I say to introduce you? And uh, I don't want to embarrass him too bad, but I asked him some of his hobbies, and you know what he said? He said, I like watching people. So be careful around him, because he might be observing you. He also said he likes to travel, he likes to... He meant to say read, but he said eat. And um, I know he likes to eat too, but he likes to read. He's an avid reader, and if you get a chance to pick his brain, he has some wonderful thoughts. His favorite quote is from Desire of Ages, page 52. And um, when this, by the simple act of believing in God, the uh, Holy Ghost creates the man anew. I know I didn't say that right, but page 52, you can look it up. Pastor Stephen Conway is, is a resident of Michigan. He uh, is happily married to his wife, Tammy, and they have two kids, Israel and Abby. And it's too bad they're not here because if you could see them, they're the cutest kids ever. And um, they would be friends with each one of you. But today, I don't want to uh, take up his time. I want to introduce him, Pastor Stephen Conway, to you. Get to know him. He's a, a wonderful man of God. But before he comes out, before his message... Ico will have prayer. Please bow your heads as I kneel. Loving Father in heaven, we're so grateful to you that you've brought us here. And Lord, this morning we come confessing our, our need of you. We, we want to humble our hearts before you so that we can hear you speaking to our hearts this morning. And Lord, you also promise that those that seek you early will find you. And we're here seeking you and seeking a blessing. So we claim that promise that you will be found of us this morning. Please speak the message that we need to hear to change our hearts, to change our lives to reflect you. And I pray a special blessing on Pastor Conway as he shares your word with us. May you uh, communicate clearly through him and help us to have understanding hearts. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. It's good to see you all out this morning. Let me read something to you. Very short, simple. God writes the gospel not in the Bible alone, but also on trees and in the flowers and clouds and stars that was penned by Martin Luther great Protestant reformer who helped the Christian world to come out of a dungeon of darkness and experience 
living by faith according to the promises of God's word. But Luther says here that the gospel is written in the stars. What on earth can the stars tell us of the gospel? Remember, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The number of stars in the known universe is 70 sextillion. That's a lot. I said the known universe. That means as far as the most powerful telescopes that have been created here on planet Earth are able to see. 70 sextillion stars. That's seven times more than all the grains of sand on every beach and desert on the face of planet Earth. The brightest star within 2,000 light years. Uh, just for your information, a light year is almost 6 trillion miles. So multiply that times 2,000. The brightest star within 2,000 light years is Rigel. The most luminous star in the galaxy is Cygnus OB2 number 12. What a name. Cygnus OB2 number 12. <laughs> Listen, when you compare our planet Earth with the sun, which is a medium-sized star, compared with the other stars, our sun is 330,000 times larger than this planet Earth. Just to help you to get a bit of an idea how big that is. I was looking up some things. I love these little numbers and stuff. And I found out that the earth, <laughs> the earth weighs 13 octillion, 200 septillion, I guess you say thousand, maybe not, pounds. The weight of the sun is 330,000 times that. The largest star that human telescopes have been able to, uh, to find is VV Cephi or Cephi. That's 32,000 times larger than our sun. Now, Albert, Albert Einstein told us that energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. So every one of those 13 octillion, 200 septillion pounds of this planet Earth are laced or loaded with potential power. And our sun, which is 330,000 times the size of this planet Earth, is loaded with power. And the largest star in the known universe, which is 32,000 times the size of our sun, is loaded with even more power. Now, if all of these things contain this much power, by the way, the sun lets out about 300 and some thousand gigawatts of power. I think that's by the hour. It takes about a few thousand gigawatts to run everything here on the face of this planet earth so i say to you again these stars are simply loaded with power now if these stars contain such power what about the word that spoke them into existence 
<laughs> There's power in the word. There is power in the word. Psalm 33, verse, beginning with verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. I say to you again, there is power in God's word. There is not only a, an expansive universe for us to, to understand and come up with all these wonderful calculations about. But there is also a sort of universe within us. Did you know that the bulk of the DNA in the human body is packed into chromosomes which are found in the nucleus of the cell? This DNA is grouped into 23 pairs of chromosomes. So there are 46 strands of, uh, of DNA in nearly every cell of our body. There are about 10 to the 13th power or 10 trillion cells in the human body, which means that there are about 460 trillion strands of chromosomal DNA in the whole human body. Let me read to you what a scientist said. His name is Dr. Dennis Alexander, and he's the chairman of the Molecular Immunology Program at the Babraham Institute, Cambridge, England. He writes in a paper uh, called The Genetic Engineering in God's World. Each of the 10 trillion somatic or non-germ-lined cells in our body contains six feet of DNA packaged with proteins to form 23 pairs of chromosomes. If all the DNA in all the cells in a single human being were stretched out, it would reach to the moon and back 8,000 times. 8,000 times. <laughs> As millions of our cells divide every second, each individual produces literally thousands of miles of newly copied DNA every minute. Now, if you were to take on, an, take on a gargantuan task and you were to say, I am interested in reading the information on just one of those strands of DNA you would have to read all 32,640 pages of the Encyclopedia Britannica over 15 times. Just to be able to read all of the information on one strand of human DNA, there are over 500,000 pages of information just on one strand of our DNA. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And here it is, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So when God breathed into Adam's nostrils, those 500,000 pages were filled immediately and instantaneously with information. And man became a living soul. There is power in the word and in the breath of God. A shepherd boy named David who didn't understand anything about what I just said to you. By the way, earlier this week I was sharing that with my little daughter Abigail. 
She's three years old, and I was telling her all these strands of DNA and 460, even one of your cells. And when I, when I, when I completed this, this wonderful illustration, would you like to know what my three-year-old daughter said to me? She says, Daddy, Daddy, but what about this? Okay, you missed it. <laughs> Those numbers didn't mean anything to her. And they also didn't mean anything to a shepherd boy named David who was sitting on a hill possibly or maybe in one of his palaces when he penned these words, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. With these thoughts in mind, open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 11. And in Romans, chapter 11, beginning with verse 33, we read, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? I want you to answer me this. Who hath been God's counselor? Who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul is contemplating on the depth of the knowledge, the unsearchable wisdom, the power of God. And this is what segues him into what we read in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, because of the, the wisdom and the wonderful power that God possesses, because of the depth of his knowledge, I beseech you, I plead with you, according to the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. And that word reasonable, it means logical. It's only logical to yield ourselves completely, totally, and wholly to a God like the one that we serve. It's our reasonable service. And be not conformed. Be not conformed. To this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants not just our fingernails. He doesn't just want our nose hairs. He doesn't just want the smallest parts of you and I. God wants all of us. You know, it's interesting when you go to the uh, DMV or BMV and you're getting ready to get a new license, they ask you a question. They ask you, do you want to be an organ donor? Do you want to be an organ donor? And that simply means that if you're in a fatal accident or something like that happens, when they come, they will pull out your license and they will see that this is an individual who has pledged his or her organs to be used 
again. Do you know that many of us play with God like that? Lord, you can have my body when I'm done with it. You can take all of me just as much as you want as soon as there's nothing left for me to be able to do with myself. As soon as my imagination has been perverted by repeated acts of promiscuity, you can have me, Lord. As soon as I've wasted all of my youthful energies and there is nothing left and this body is completely depleted of every possible thing that I could give to you, sure, you can have me then. But God, friends of mine, is not asking for us to give ourselves to him after we have used everything. God is asking us to give ourselves to him now. What part of us does God specifically want? Paul tells us, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants our mind. He wants our minds. As we learned last night, the mind is the seat of the will. And also, a mind that is wholly and totally given over to the controlling power of God will tell the body that it is connected to exactly what to do. So God says, give me your mind. Let me read to you, as a matter of fact, you can read it with me, uh, a particular passage of Scripture that I believe continues to deepen our thoughts as we consider how God wants our minds. It's found in the book of Isaiah. What book did I say? It's found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26. Very familiar passage of Scripture. But I want us to look at it in a different way on this day. In Isaiah chapter 26, beginning with verse 3. And this is a song that God's people were supposed to sing to him. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, this is one verse, one line. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Let me read it to you from the Amplified Version. I really like this one. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind both its inclination and its character is stayed on you because he or she commits themselves to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. Oh, what a beautiful translation. They got it right that time. So the Bible says that we will be constantly kept through the agency of our mind As our minds are connected or stayed or focused or fastened on God. In Romans chapter 5 verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace is the result of being justified or being made right. But Isaiah tells us, Isaiah tells us that the way that we can remain in a right condition with God is by keeping our minds fastened on God. What that means is that God has the right to continue to cover us as long as our minds are fastened on God's word. He wants our minds to remain fastened on his word. So the mind is the place where all the action takes place. 
But when my mind, when your minds are transformed or renewed, what exactly does this look like? I've got three suggestions for you this morning. In order for me to explain the first one, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. What book did I say? Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 1, the Bible says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And he said, verse 3, Truly or verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that we must be converted. Jesus says that we must become as little children. And then Jesus added a word that kind of confused me. We must humble ourselves and become as little children. And I thought to myself, are little children humble? Now I told you I've got a three-year-old daughter named Abigail. I don't know where it comes from because my wife is not this type of person. She's not the type who dances around in the mirror over and over and spends a lot of time, you know, in the, in the mirror. A lot of times my wife is not concerned with how she looks. And, you know, uh, being the husband that I am, I have to say, hey, honey, let's not go out like this. And uh, anyway, that's another story. So she didn't get it. She didn't get it from her mother. And she didn't get it from her father. But my little girl will change clothes at three years old. She will change clothes four to five times a day. She's not changing clothes because she wants to go out and prance around. She just loves to play dress up. She takes her little barrettes after mommy has meticulous meticulously done her hair she takes the barrettes out and puts the barrettes on her little stuffed animals then sometimes when she gets a new dress she'll put it on and she'll say mommy daddy and spin around and as I was watching her one day I said I don't know if little children are humble I, I, don't, I don't know if that's it What did Jesus mean then? One thing that all little children have in common, and I believe this is what Jesus was suggesting, is that little children are dependent. What did I say? Little children are dependent. They need, and they need, and they need, and they need some more. If they woke up in the morning and went downstairs and pulled open the refrigerator, you know, with the audacity, some of them, to ask, what on earth, mom, dad, why haven't you shopped? Is this what's for dinner? They're needy. They are dependent. So when Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 says that we must humble ourselves and become as little children, I believe that Jesus is alluding to the fact that we must be converted so that we can become dependent upon God. So when our minds are transformed, a transformed, a renewed mind is a dependent mind. Pastor Shin expounded on 
my next point last night, so I won't go into it. The second part of a transformed or renewed mind is a submitted will. The third part, I want to take a little bit of time on this one, (laughs) is a tender conscience. See, a lot of us have the idea that, excuse me, when I'm converted, when I'm transformed, when my mind is renewed, that must mean I'll never sin again. Uh, Let me give you a word of caution. That's not so. The converted, the renewed, the transformed mind is not a promise that one will never fall. Because if it were, that would mean that God has removed the element of choice. However, it is a promise that God will keep our hearts and our consciences tender. Let me give you some biblical examples because you look like you don't believe me this morning. And I told you I love it when I see that look. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. What book did I say? 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And you all remember the story. This is the story contained here of David and Bathsheba. David has sinned. He has committed adultery with this woman Bathsheba. And he has also had her husband assassinated. So David is sitting back in his palace. He's now taken Bathsheba to be his wife. Everything is cool. Everything is fine. No one's ever going to find out. No one's ever going to know. And all of a sudden he gets a visit from a big mouth prophet named Nathan. And Nathan says, David, how you doing? David says, oh, I'm doing just swell, brother Nathan. And he says, listen, I want to tell you a story about something that took place in your kingdom. Well, go ahead. Tell me what's the story. And he goes into this parable of an ewe lamb and David's, David's anger is slowly rising up inside of him as he hears about the injustice that has been performed in his kingdom. Let me give you a little bit of commercial break here. That's just how each and every one of us are. Hmm? We get angry about things that we hear that others have done when in fact we've done the very same things. So before we are transformed, renewed, before we experience the gift, the miracle of repentance, when we hear about sins that we ourselves are guilty of, how dare they? How could they do such things? I would never. Have you said that before? If you're honest, you know you better shake your head and say yes. I would never. I could never. Well, I know I'm not perfect, but... So David gets angry and Nathan says, you know what, David, let me give you the worst part about this story. And David says, go ahead, Nathan, tell me. And Nathan looks him in the eyes and points at him and says, thou art the man. And David's entire world is literally shattered in those words. It's you, David. The worst thing about what Nathan said to David, I believe, in the mind of David, is not that he had been discovered, but I believe what blew David's mind is that David didn't even recognize what he was doing. Not to say that he was ignorant of his sin. He knew what he was doing in that sense. But he was ignorant of the fact that he was going on in something that was displeasing 
to the God that he loves so much. And here is what I'm talking about. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, when David was made aware of his sins, David's heart was broken. Why? Because David's mind had been renewed and his conscience was tender towards those things that God found displeasing. My question for you this morning is how do you feel about your sins? You want to know if your mind has ever been renewed. You want to know if you can have this state of perfect peace. You want to know if you can remain covered by the righteousness of God. Well, the indication that we're reading here in the story of David is, it causes us to ask the question or it begs the question, is my heart tender when the Spirit of God brings to my mind those things that are out of harmony with the law and with the will of God? Do I make excuses like everyone else is doing it? Or pastor such and such did it? Or my mom and dad or my youth leader or this person or that person. Do I make excuses or is my heart broken when the spirit of God reveals to me that I've been doing something that has been hurting the God that I love? The second example of this is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 19. You remember the young king Josiah. He asked, for, uh, he asked for someone to go into the treasure house and he asked for them to find out, you know, what they had there. And in the midst of all of this, there was found an old book of the law. And in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 19, that book is brought and it's read to Josiah. And when Josiah hears it, and Josiah was a good king, what type of king was he? He was a good king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But there were things in his life, follow me people of God, there were things in his life that he was not aware of. And when these things were brought to his attention, though he was a good king and though he did those things which were right in the sight of the Lord, the Bible tells us there in verse 19 of Second Chronicles 34 that Josiah rends his garments. Those were not cheap garments. Those were kingly robes. They were probably the most expensive in the entire nation of Israel. But they meant nothing to Josiah. If the God that he loved was displeased by his actions. A transformed, a renewed mind means that our consciences have been made tender. You can see examples of this over and over in the scriptures. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, after he denies the Lord, and Peter finally has it revealed to him. He's the person that he didn't think he was. And Jesus knew it all along. And we are told that he went to the very same spot that was still wet with the blood and sweat and tears of Jesus and bitterly wept out his repentance. It broke his heart that he broke God's heart. When our minds are transformed, this is the key element of a converted individual. It is not that I never fall. It is that when I do fall, it breaks my heart that I have broken God's heart. I ask you again, how do you feel when you break God's heart? All right. 
I need to be dependent. All right. I need a submitted will. Yes, I agree. I need a tender heart, a tender conscience. But how do I experience this? Let me share this with you. And I'm going somewhere, so just follow me, okay? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. What book did I say? Book of Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, this is a very, very familiar text. I'm sure you've all heard it. You've all read it before, but you'll hear it and you'll read it again. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus is speaking, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of, listen, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Words. Our words are an expression of our thoughts, our feelings, our ideals. Our convictions. So when you listen to an individual as he or she is speaking, it is like flipping through the card catalog of their mind. They're telling you everything that resides in their minds. Out of the abundance of the heart or the mind, the mouth speaketh. Now, that's interesting. Because the Bible says that we are to have the mind of Christ. In fact, in one particular place, Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. And in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And our minds are a card, or excuse me, our minds are expressed through the words that we speak. What's going on up here is revealed by what comes out of here. And the Bible tells us that our minds are to be like Christ, that we are to have his mind. Is that possible? How do I have the mind of Christ? I wish I could ask you one by one. Because I love talking about stuff that people repeat over and over again but really have no clue what it's talking about. I love it. And I just love to listen to people's answers. Because I think that too many times we throw a lot of terms around. Dying to self. Oh yes, we need to die to self. What does that mean? What does that mean? We need to be converted. We need to be born again. Yes, and we preach it. But what does it really mean to be born again? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? And how do we experience it? Listen, friends of mine. If you and if I have the word of God, we have access to the mind of God. For in God's word, we find an expression of God's thoughts and God's feelings. I don't think you, you caught that. I know it's important for me to have the mind of God. And Paul says we actually have it. But I don't understand the transaction. I don't understand what takes place. I don't understand how it takes place. If you came in this morning with God's word in your hand, you were holding the mind of God in your hands. You can know what God thinks about you based on what he has said. You can know what God's will is for certain things in your lives. No, for everything in your life based on what God has said. And if we have the word of God, then we've got the mind of God. 
So that's why so many who are in the ministry are constantly being approached with questions and they're being asked, well, what should I do here and what should I do there? And I imagine, much like myself, that sometimes it becomes, it becomes a bit burdensome because God has clearly spoken to each and every individual. The pastor doesn't have a monopoly on the mind of God. Those who stand up here and present, those who are in those workshops, no one has a monopoly on it. The mind of God is available to each and every one of us as it's revealed in His Word. If we would only put down the novels, if we would only turn the internet off, help us, Lord. If we would only stop text messaging, if we would only get off of the cell phones, if we would only spend time in God's word, we would have a clear revelation of God's mind. In fact, we would be plugged into the very mind of God. I read somewhere where a favorite author of mine wrote, and this is probably... Um, by the way, that quote Dan gave you was in Steps to Christ, page 52. But this is probably one of my most, uh, you know, favorite quotes. I'm sorry I didn't think of it then, but probably because I couldn't tell you where it's found. But I have read it. And it says that our thoughts and our feelings, I'm paraphrasing now, can become so united with the thoughts and feelings of God that we can reach a point in our existence where we feel we are but acting out the impulses of our own minds and we're not even conscious of the fact that it's God speaking to us. Whew. What a promise. My mind is so linked up, so harmonized with the mind of God that I'm going around, doo, 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 let me say hi to somebody. And I don't even recognize that it was God who implanted the thought in my mind. I don't even recognize that it was God who says, open the door. I don't even recognize that it was God who says, hey, say happy Sabbath. Smile to that individual. Give that individual a hug. Hey, give of your best to that individual. Give something out of your bank account to that individual. Spend some time with that individual. And I don't even realize that I'm operating in the mind of God. Oh, what a promise that is. What a wonderful promise. So how do we experience our minds being renovated, renewed, transformed? Our minds are renovated, renewed, transformed by spending time in the Word of God. Now, if you've ever done any construction or renovation, you'll know that one of the things you need is a hammer. Isn't that right? Yeah, you need a hammer. <laughs> In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, I believe it is, the Bible says, Is not God's word like fire and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? How can my mind be renovated? Bring in the hammer of God's word. He'll tear down everything that does not belong and he'll replace it with every good and perfect gift. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing or renovation of your minds that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God, another way of saying the will of God is the mind of God. We can prove the mind of God because we've got the Word of God implanted in our minds. And we'll stop asking questions like, what's wrong with? That's not a renewed mind. 
The renewed mind doesn't say, what's wrong with this? Or I don't see anything wrong with that. The renewed mind proves what is acceptable to God. The renewed mind says, this is what God's word says. This is what God's will is. It doesn't look for neat little ways to escape or get out of responsibility. It says, I know what God's will is. I know what God wants for me because he has spoken to me about it in his word. The wonderful thing about God's word is that God's word will enter into the experience of humanity. That's what God's word did in the person of Jesus. The Bible in John chapter 1 called Jesus the divine alphabet, the word of God. And Jesus entered into the experience of humanity. And God now wants his, his, his living, his breathing word to enter into our human experiences. So that when the dark clouds of grief have swollen up over my head because I've lost a loved one in my family or if I, I've experienced some, some traumatic form of grief or pain when those clouds are blotting out the very sun, the word of God can enter into my human experience. When my heart has been broken in a relationship and I'm not sure if I can ever love again because I have lost the ability to trust, the word of God can enter into my human experience. When I'm having a problem forgiving someone that's hurt me and that has done uh, mean and, and hateful things towards me, the word of God can enter into my human experience. And when the word of God enters into my human experience, then I am forever changed. Even as this world was forever changed, when the living word entered into the experience of humanity, when Jesus Christ was injected into the human race, this human race has never been the same since. Has the word of God entered into your experience? Has the word of God been there with you when no one else could comfort you? Has the word of God been there with you when you were standing on the precipice of temptation and you wanted to jump? And there was no, no one around to be able to say, don't do it. The lights were off and no one would see it and you wanted to do it. Has the word of God entered into your experience and my experience at our very weakest point? Beloved. We need an experience with God's word. It's not sufficient for you to listen to what I say or what anyone else says. We need an individual experience with God's word. Not just so we can say we've memorized a bunch of texts, not even simply for the purpose of being able to share it with others, but solely that we ourselves might be transformed, might be changed. All right, Pastor Conway, I, I see how to get it. But I still am wondering, I'm still wondering, can I be sure of God's word? Can I be positive that when I've reached my very weakest or my lowest point, when I'm standing on that precipice and I want to jump off, 
and I, I, I want a bungee cord because I want to go down, but I want to come back up. When I'm there, is the word of God powerful enough to be able to wrap itself around me and embrace me at even that point? I say to you, yes, the word of God is powerful enough. Look up at the stars. The same word that holds those stars there is the same word of power that is available for each and every one of us. But I still don't know, Pastor Conway. Well, let me make it even plainer. You and I can trust God's word. We can trust it with all of our hearts and with all of our minds. Because when God had promised to send his son and humanity gave God every reason in the universe to say no. And change his mind. He didn't. <laughs> he didn't. Can you imagine? Jesus was on death row for 4,000 years. And every single day of those 4,000 years, he received letters and phone calls from human beings saying, You shouldn't do it. We don't care. We simply aren't bothered. It doesn't matter whether you die for us or not. Every single day for 4,000 years, the very people who Jesus was getting ready to come and die for told him, we don't want it. And he said, but I've promised. I've promised. And I'll never go back on my word. It's simply not possible. I can't do it. If you ever doubt, Friends of God, if you ever doubt the ability of God to fulfill his word based on what you have done, erase the thought from your memory. Humanity gave God every opportunity to turn around and God still came through and fulfilled his word. But Pastor Conway, I was baptized at 13 and, and after my baptism, my devilment began. Will God's word still have power in my life? Yes, it'll have power in your life. But Pastor Conway, I gave Bible studies to other people and then I turned around and I abused the confidence and trust that those same people had in me. Can God's word have power in my life? Yes, it can have power in your life. But Pastor Conway, my wife knows who I really am. And even though I go to church and I look good, she doubts whether or not God's word can have power in my life. Can God's word have enough power in my life so that my spouse is convinced that my religion is real? Yes, God's word can have power in your life like that. Pastor Conway, I'm just a student in high school or in a public university, or even one of our own church universities. And no one around me is inspired. No one around me desires to do the things of God. Are you telling me that God's word is powerful enough to take one individual and place that one individual whose mind has been transformed and linked up with the mind of God in hostile territory and allow that individual to stand? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes, God's word is powerful enough. 
the creative word, friends of God, is the keeping word. <laughs> you didn't get that. Let me say it again. The creative word is the keeping or sustaining word. That's why I'm always amazed when folks say, yes, we believe that the Lord created the earth in seven, in six days and he rested on the seventh and, you know, all the host of them and all this other stuff. But then when it comes to talking about what God is capable, what God is able uh, to do in our lives, you hear people talk about, yes, but. Well, I believe God created, but I don't. And you can fill it in with Whatever you want, let me tell you something. That is the antithesis of the gospel. You cannot believe in the creative power of God's word and then doubt God's keeping power. That same keeping power of that word in your life. It's impossible. It is not possible. If you look up at the stars at night and you say, wow, what an awesome God. And then you find yourself ready to fall into temptation, you must understand that the power that keeps your heart beating, the power that keeps the blood running warm in your veins, the power that allows your respiratory system to keep functioning and allows you to keep breathing is the same power that can keep you from sin. That power became real in my life when I was about the age of 17. Oh, I wish I could tell you about my train. You talk about night and day? Man, listen. <laughs> if you would have known me 24 hours before the word of God got a hold of me, you would have went to the other side of the street. You wouldn't have wanted anything to do with me. At 17 years old, I remember my brother, he, my older brother, he was working with an evangelist. And uh, my brother, he prayed for me because I was just way out there. But the Lord had brought me to the point where at least I was now living in my parents' home again. And so there I was. I had gone down to the front uh, at this particular church service. And the appeal was made. And I was there. I was weeping at the altar and I was crying. I said, Lord, I want something better. I want something more. I want something more. And I accepted Christ into my life anew. I went home that night. It was the Sabbath. Man, I was riding high. You know that feeling? Yeah? Like, man, I've just given myself to the Lord when all of a sudden, after the sun had set and my family is still sitting around reminiscing on the goodness of God, the, the phone rings. And I answer the phone and it's one of my best friends. Didn't know Christ, wasn't a Christian. And he says, Steve, listen, let me tell you, I've got two tickets to the turkey jam. Now, you don't know what the turkey jam is, but in Cleveland, Ohio, where I grew up, around Thanksgiving, in the, in the Cleveland Convention Center, downtown Cleveland, they would have this, this enormous party, and they would have a bunch of different bands and, and, and professional singers, you know, famous people that would come in, and they would perform. Now, I was only about 17 or 18 years old, but you had to be 25 years old in order to get in. <laughs> You know how when you're 17, 16, you always want to be older than you are. Can't wait till I'm 21 and I can flash that. Hey, yeah, that's me. That's me right there. 21 years ago, I came into. And that's, that's what I was thinking. And, and, and all of a sudden, my friend said, listen, I've got two tickets, but I don't have a car. Steve, you've got the car. You've got the car. What's up, man? Are we rolling or what? 
And I remember holding the phone there. And all of a sudden, the voice of God said, You just gave yourself to me. My brother had picked up the phone at the exact same time I did, and I didn't know he was listening. And he peeked around the corner, and he repeated the words that the Holy Spirit said. He said, Steve, you just gave yourself to the Lord. I said, man, shut up, man. I don't want to hear that right now. Get on out of here, man. And I stood there, and he said, Steve, listen. Are you going to do it? And my mind began to run to upstairs. I had a new pair of black jeans, black guest jeans, and a new Tommy Hilfiger sweater, and a new pair of boots, and a leather coat, and a hat to match. And, and I started to think about myself there, walking in, and everybody just shouting my name. Oh, yeah, I had a vivid imagination. <laughs> and as all of this is taking place in my mind, all of a sudden the Spirit of God draws me back. It rips me back to the altar where I was, pleading with God for a new and more powerful experience. And I put the phone to my mouth and he said, Steve, are you there? I said, yes, I'm here. He said, what's going on, man? Are we rolling or what? Do I need to call someone else? Are you down, Steve? And I said, no. Did I just say that? He said, Steve. <laughs> See, the devil wants to give us another opportunity. Steve, what did you say? The devil, he must have read the look on my expression and, and, and asked my friend, did, what did you say, Steve? I couldn't hear that. Are you sure you wanted to say that? And I was so overwhelmed with the ability to say no that I put it to my, to my mouth again and I said, no. And he was like, okay, well, I'll find somebody else. And I hung the phone up and I felt as though I was getting ready to hit the moon. Seventeen years of a life on planet Earth, never having experienced what I did on that day. Satan has no power over a man, woman, boy or girl who has the courage to say no. And on that day, the word of God entered into my human experience. And I experienced his power, his mind, his will made real to me. And I walked into the living room and I didn't even have another thought of the turkey jam. Here's the great part. That was just the beginning. That was just the beginning. God has brought me a mighty long way as I imagine that he has done for many of us. But we need to be reminded, be reminded of the power of God to do even more and mighty and marvelous things in our lives. 
my experience at 17 years old is not sufficient for today. I've got a wife now, got two kids now, got bills now. I need God's word to be experienced afresh in my life every single day. And so when I awake in the morning, I'm looking towards heaven's bakery. I need some bread, Lord. <laughs> I need some bread. I need enough bread to get me through this day. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Give me, give me a connection with your mind. Give me a connection with your word. How many of you this morning want a fresh connection with the mind of God? How many of you want the word of God to enter into your human experience? If that's your desire, I want you to stand to your feet with me. Bow your heads, loving Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you for the power of your word. May it rain down upon us or fall down as snow as we're here today. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of the Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.